welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. In this episode, church leader Anthony Delaney talks to Simon Barrington about the difference between addition and multiplication and how the small decisions we make every day add up to significant impact and change. Today I'm joined on the Forge Leadership Podcast by Anthony Delaney. Anthony was a police officer in the centre of Manchester for 10 years before going into church leadership in various places around the UK. He's now back in the city leading Ivy, a network of churches that meets in various different places like a cinema, a pub, a warehouse and even, believe it or not, a church building. He also uh, leads New Thing Europe, uh, which aims to recruit, encourage and train for church planters of 500 new reproducing churches across Europe in the next uh, five years. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Hey Simon, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> it's great to have have you with us today. Uh, you're in Manchester right now, is that, is that right? I am, I'm in said church building where we have our offices and um, interestingly this year we've actually moved out of the cinema because they um, wanted to charge us three times as much money but that's ended up with us basically birthing three churches out of one so uh it's uh, we're, we're living in challenging but exciting times in terms of change this year. Fantastic. I look forward to talking a little bit more about that in a moment. But uh, you didn't start off as a church leader, did you? You're in the in the police force. Yeah. Um, what did you learn about leadership in, in that context? Well, I suppose, I mean, I'm from a working class background um, and didn't get much in terms of leadership um, models growing up, I don't think. I tried to do my best at school most of the time, and I always had a, a love of reading from being... A, my dad taught me to read actually before I even went to school because my dad was a, a big reader, and I remember him buying a set of encyclopedias, and I just used to love to just pick up an encyclopedia and read from a very early age. So I've always had a thirst for knowledge. Um, and did it did well at school, but then at 16 joined the police cadets rather than going on and doing any further education. I kind of felt like I'd done with school. I didn't want to go and do A-levels or whatever, but got opportunity to join the police cadets, which I did for two years. And then at 18 and a half, found myself walking around probably the toughest beat in Manchester, in Cheatham Hill. Around that time, the miners' strike kicked off. And um, so at 19, I was right in the, in the midst of that. And I think my first real exposure to something, with I saw the difference that leadership made was there actually one day during the miners' strike when um, a PSU, a police support unit, 12 of us suddenly had to face hundreds of striking miners who descended upon a pit that we were uh, guarding. And um, they were intent on, on wrecking the place and uh, they were throwing bricks through the windows of the canteen, etc. And it was during that time, there's an inspector, I'll never forget his name, it was Inspector Hughes, who up until that point had just been this guy who signed pocketbooks, uh, he gave you, you know, did the admin, etc. But suddenly in that moment, I think sometimes leadership gets called forth in, in moments. And it was his moment, maybe he had them before, but I'd never seen one. He just stepped up and, and led this 12 of us um, to be able to face these hundreds of miners. And we basically held them at bay until re- reinforcements came for half an hour. And one of the guys, our guys got his, had his arm broken. But other than that, it, it could have been... A, million times worse if we'd had bad leadership but thankfully we we saw somebody who stepped up and led really well um to keep a lid on the problem as much as possible to go to the problem rather than backing away from it to try and create rapport to it all kinds of things that i look back on it and think he just did right now i know about leadership Mm -hmm. but as it was then i was a bit too scared to be analyzing it and uh it was just at the end of it i thought wow 
you know, if one day I could kind of be a leader like that, um, maybe that would be something worth aspiring to. But it wasn't actually until I became a Christian that I decided that I realized that actually I needed to be a leader and to have influence um, because it just wasn't in me up until that point. And when did you first realize that you had uh, leadership gifts? I don't think, I think it literally was um, around the time I, before long after I became a, a Christian, I had no aspirations, I had no ambition, I had nothing really. I was lost and in my lostness, um, I was interested in making money, I was interested in, in girls and nightclubs on my time off and um, that was about it. And then I became a Christian and realized actually we're here to change the world and make a difference and a lot of what I had been doing, which was all about me, the Holy Spirit began to change and, and I began to realize that I did have influence and as we worked with it, we, we got more. So I got involved early days of something called The Message, which is up here, Andy Hawthorne, great friend of mine now, um, reaching out to young people. And I got into our local school where I was and, and did some things to be able to help these kids to connect them to God. And then I was mentored by a, a friend of mine uh, called Tony, who was a Canadian actually, who for a year took me under his belt and really discipled me, showed me how to read the Bible and, and make sense of it, What to have some disciplines in your life in terms of getting up early in the morning and praying and spend, giving the best part of your day to God and, and then trusting him for the rest of it. And, um, I, and I, I, think I really got into scripture and I think it, it's very hard, among all the other reading that I've done, when I found the Bible, I found that it is in all kinds of ways an in, incredible leadership textbook. I remember hearing T.D. Jake say, everything that anybody ever learned about leadership came out of the Bible. Um, ultimately, there's such wisdom in there, and people over the years might have added their own things to it, put their own spin in it, but all great Christian leadership anyway comes out of Scripture. And what were first, some of your first experiences of kind of trying to apply that leadership? Maybe something that went wrong or something that went well? You know, how did you experiment with that? Well, it was uh, more eventually I ended up trying to witness to my colleagues in the police, which sometimes went well, sometimes didn't. And it was a very hard environment to suddenly change in because everybody knew the old Anthony Delaney. And now they're trying to be introduced to this new one. And, um, and so most of it was just, you know, John Maxwell says leadership is influence. And I'd been used to a form of influence which came from the authority of um, which I'd be able to impose in situations by having the uniform, having the badge, um, having the authority, having the, the office, if you like, of a police constable. And that work might work when you're going to arrest a, a criminal, but it, it's not, you know, it, it, if you're trying to get somebody to voluntarily come along with you rather than being forced into, that doesn't work. And I, I realized before long that there's, there's ways that we have to work with people to be able to bring out the best in them. And um, some of my previous tactics, uh, you know, ended up having to change. So I would um, just in, in friendship situations realize that it, it, you have to, sometimes you, you would have to influence up. I'd have to learn how to influence my bosses. Um, sometimes it would be sideways, people I was working long eyed and sometimes it would be leading down and influencing other people. And, and all of these things came into play as a police officer. Um, again, I'm, I'm now retro, I'm retrospectively looking back and seeing I was learning leadership on the go in these everyday situations all the time. And that's why I think it was, you know, I look back on that time and thank God that I did so long in the, in the police, um, which is so much about dealing with people. Um, because leadership 
is so much about dealing with people. And um, it's not just about getting a product made, if people are listening from a business point of view. It's about um, bringing out the God-given potential in people uh, in ways that they'll, they'll volunteer their best rather than being having to be made to do so. So I would, um, you know, some people through that time in the police, my best friend became a Christian, the guy that I was walking the beat with. He's gone on since then to form a charity which is involved with um, helping human trafficking since he left the police. He's up and called Safe. And I've encouraged him with that over the years and, and he's encouraged me in so many ways. There's friendships, lifelong friendships that kind of developed from that, from the police. And I, I just realised over time that I remember then when I went to the theological college. To be honest with you, I wasn't taught much about leadership. It, it was uh, I, I was uh, I'm ordained in the Church of England, although Ivy isn't the Church of England church. But so much of it, three years at theological college was was about picking apart the Bible and looking at what German 19th century theologians thought about it, rather than uh, how do we actually take this living word and make it and show its relevance to people uh, in 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 our time and um, there was very little practical leadership training there but again the reason for that was because the people who were teaching weren't leaders they were teachers and and they they hadn't most of them had never even led a church they'd certainly never grown a church before so they, they you can't impart something that you haven't got you can't lead where you've not been and and so I'm not even blaming them but I think the system was was pretty terrible because you're churning out people in their image again people who would be able to to often be like just magnolia blend into the background. Um, as long as you don't upset anybody, it, then you're, then that's the main thing if you're going to lead a church, keep everybody happy, which of course is impossible. <laughs> you, you actually lecture on transformational leadership now, don't you? So what is it that you're trying to put back into younger leaders through that lecturing that maybe you didn't get in in Bible college and how would you kind of sum that? Well, I think transformational leadership is is leadership to change things and that's what leaders do um, and I mean some of that involves realizing what's wrong and that, you know then looking at what what's right how do we and then what's the gap between them and this is something that you know God obviously does with us. He has a, a view of our lives, and he sees what's wrong. He sees that we're sinners, but he also has the solution, which is Jesus, and this transformation that is never going to be complete. But you know, is is uh, this side of heaven? But he works with us towards working out his goal, and he's prepared good works in advance that we should walk in them. So, in my, I, I teach uh, some of that uh, main avenue for that is through Westminster Theological Centre, and. I'll teach church leaders and various people in, in, in different um, leadership uh, uh, roles how through, uh, I actually use a series of Old Testament characters to be able to see how God turned their weaknesses into strengths and how God uh, also added to their strengths, his strength, to be able to bring about change for his purposes. And um, so, yeah, I think, again, I'm always going to go back to scripture. I'm going to look at how we would use a Gideon who was the person who's, um, you know, just got a little bit of something inside of him that says the, the status quo isn't good enough. And then God meets him in that and calls him a mighty man of God and then, and then helps him to be what he already sees he is. And how God could use Moses, who's faltering in his speech, and yet 
transform him and how he then sends Jethro along to be able to say you're doing some things right but you're doing some things terribly and let's look at what it means to how he came into a coaching mentoring relationship with his father-in-law to become a better leader and there's all these things it's all as I say it's just there in scripture how does Abraham get a, Abraham gets a vision from God um, Jeremiah gets a vision from God and he hears a call from God and then he has to communicate that to others and and just all these different things that are so readily available to us in Scripture. And then I read so often, I'm, I'm also a, a voracious reader of leadership materials, and so I'll pick up the latest Harvard Business Review, and I'll be reading an article in there, and I'll think, oh, you, you, you think this is new. <laughs> you think what you've just written here is some stunning insight, and actually I can make so many ties with what, with what God has said already in Scripture. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, I love I love it when that happens, don't you? When you're reading a, a book that's coming from an atheistic or secularist mm. perspective, and and they're just picking out biblical yeah. truth without uh, yeah. <laughs> understanding it, and it just you want to go, "Oh, it's there." The, let me show I mean, you. One, one of the latest <laughs> ones is uh, one I would I would commend to your listeners. Yeah. There's a book um, by uh, two authors. I'm really not going to try and pronounce the names, but they can have a look. It's uh, it's got is. It, Blue Ocean strategy and Blue Ocean mindset is the is the latest version of that. I don't I mean, you may have heard of that, but the 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 idea is that businesses, companies can be so often in the red water where it's like the sharks are all fighting over the few remaining customers, whereas actually we're meant to go out. If you go out to the blue ocean where nobody else is, that's when you're going to see real growth, and they have all kinds of fantastic teaching on that but I look at that and then I read in scripture when Jesus says to Peter you know it's time to move away from the shoreline here go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch and it's like go where others aren't going and do what others aren't doing and that's where you're going to see multiplication and then he sees the miracle obviously and the nets get full so I'm reading this book just last week and making notes all over it, but at the same time with a wry smile inwardly thinking, Jesus knows this. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. What, what do you think, Anthony, is the biggest leadership challenge that has been faced by the church today, mm -hmm. and, and how are you approaching it through IV and uh, new things? I think around? we get what we aim at, and we also get what we are, uh, what our, our daily disciplines end up um, producing. So, in my own life, just recently, I mean, yesterday I went to the gym, and there's a machine there that kind of measures your mm -hmm. height and your weight, and then it. it it painlessly bolts through some electricity and it tells you how much your fat is and how much your muscle is and what your met metabolic rate and your BMI is and all those. And it really gives you this very involved printout in terms of how your body is. And there's no arguing with it. Now, two years ago, I went on that at the gym and, uh, and, I, and it was not a pretty picture. When I looked at that, and I, I'd been the reason I went was because I'd been to I was, I was supposed to be flying somewhere abroad and I needed some shots and the nurse did some checks and she ticked the box that overweight and, and I said oh hang on I think you've ticked the wrong box there and then she said no you're definitely overweight and I was like no I'm, I'm muscular you know muscle weighs heavier than fat and all of this and she said no you're definitely <laughs> overweight so I so I then would go to the gym and then there were some some changes that I made that. To be honest with you, I couldn't pray away the fat. 
I couldn't, you know, I could have had all kinds of dreams and aspirations and visions about what I, what I would like my body to be. But in the end, there were some things that I needed to stop doing and some things that I needed to start doing. And now, I mean, I made a personal choice around that time that I would stop drinking alcohol. And I decided in a day, if anybody wants to know how to give up alcohol, just stop. That's what I did that day. I decided I'm not going to, and I've been drinking since I was 16, but I made a decision. I think our decisions determine our destiny and our destination. It wasn't even a religious thing. It was a, actually for the good of my health, I'm going to stop drinking. And then I also got serious about not just seeing how many, how much I could bench press, which was my previous, how fit I am. Actually, the, 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 the times when I'm going to lie on my back and lift something up ahead of me is very rare, but I might have to run for a bus. So I would, I, I changed my program and got one that would actually get me fit, get me fitter. I, I am going somewhere with this. Um, over time, over this is the key. The difference in daily disciplines produce different results. And so I went on it yesterday, and you can actually see that in that time I've lost nearly two stone, but most, but I've retained about the same amount of muscle, but I've lost loads of fat. And now my my meta metabolic rate is. 30, I'm a 36-year-old inside and a 52-year-old on the outside. And, and it's like those things matter. Yesterday, I saw the figures, um, and I put something on my Facebook about it, from the Church of England. And this is only – I love the Church of England. I'm, I'm still um, ordained in the Church of England. As I say, they just don't pay me, and they don't tell me what to do, and I try not to tell them what to do. But I looked at these figures, and uh, you know, they're horrendous reading since 2011 of – of massive decline that continues and is is not slowing down in two dioceses um the, there's been incremental growth in the last five years that's london diocese which is great and there's some good stuff happening there and another one but the rest of them are, they're dying off a lot of these places and you know like the isle of man lost 50 percent of its children that it had in the last five years and and it's like well actually there's some things that you need to do about that or you're going to keep on getting the same results. Mm. And actually, this is a leader's job. Mm. A leader's job is to look at what is working and what isn't working and then do things that change that and close the gap between them. And it's, and it's decisions about what you're going to spend money on and what you're not going to spend money on, what you're going to spend time doing and what you're not going to spend time doing, what your focus will be and what you will not focus on. All of those are intensely practical leadership decisions, and ultimately, it needs people of courage to make such decisions because no, because everybody likes change until it affects them, and when their program no longer gets the the uh, the money, the time, the effort put into it, then some of them are going to shout. But actually, some things need to die in order that we can have sustainable life and reproduction in the future, and um, so I, I think that the biggest. The biggest thing that we're lacking often is boldness and courage to go with. It isn't that we don't know what to do. It's that we do know what to do, but we're too scared too often to, to actually make the radical changes that, that the church needs to make. Even, even the churches that are focused on how do I get more people coming to my church, which has over the years been my focus often, that's actually the wrong question. What we need to be doing is, is saying, how do I make disciples of Jesus Christ who will be radically sold out to him and his, his purposes in the world, and how do I get them to make more disciples like Jesus? If you do that, you'll end up with church 
You'll have to you'll have to get churches because those people will want to be together with others, and will want to reach the world and realize you can't do it on your own. But if you if you just try and make church a little bit better or a bit better than the one down the road, compared with them, then you might even succeed at being a slightly better church. But that's that's if if we're all in the same boat, that's a little bit like somebody saying, well, at least the hole's only at your end; it's not at my end. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more, Anthony, about you know this concept of moving from addition to well, mm. we talked about subtraction a little bit there, haven't we? Moving from addition to to multiplication. You touched on it there in terms of disciples making disciples. How do you approach that in IV and in in the ministries you're involved in? In really bringing about multiplication and church growth through raising up new leaders. I mean, 500 leaders, you know, 500 new churches reproducing across Europe is a massive vision. How do you even go about that or start Um, going about that? One at a time, groups at a time, networks at a time, by invitation, by people hearing it and saying, actually, I'd like to be a part of that. I'd like to be one of them. And then actually believing in people and and encouraging them. Um, I'm, I'm related uh, very closely in ministry with the, the new thing is, is, uh, that I'm part of is it started in the US, although it's now in Africa and India and all over the world. But the, the guys who started it, Dave and John Ferguson, two brothers in Chicago, wrote an amazing book called Exponential, which is a great leadership book. And in there they said that the most important four letters we can ever say to anybody is ICNU, which is I see in you somebody who could. If God got behind you in the power of the Spirit, do that, whatever it is, the vision is that God's calling you to. And people are, are desperately longing for somebody, as well as God, to believe in them. <laughs> and, uh, and for somebody to come and say, you can do this. Yeah. And even maybe to say, and I'll be praying for you and if I can help. And I've just found if we do that to people, then they step up to that. Um, I think the church has often been built on people saying, actually, no, you can't do that. We've been very good at telling people what they can't do and what they shouldn't do and what only certain people are allowed to do and what you need the, the bishop's permission to do or, or whatever. And as a result of that, you get certain results. So I think that, that to help people to be able to see the, 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 the possibility, again, you can't look through the Bible and see that God doesn't use ordinary people for extraordinary things to change the world. That's what he does. It's what he was going to continue to do. Old Testament, New Testament, look at the book of Acts. It's how he operates. And so I just want us to believe that again and start to encourage people with the possibility, the God-given possibilities of change. The thing with regard to addition and multiplication is actually in some ways it's difficult. I'm, I'm beginning to see. Sometimes if you're in subtraction and you're losing people, you're losing um, your church is losing money, resources, um, and and you're you know it, it, then that's you could think well the answer to that is I mean, we need to start to add, we need to grow the church. But actually, I was just thinking about this morning. The thing is, I could show you how to grow your church next week. You, anybody, anybody listening who's a church leader, I could tell you how to double it, I'd treble it even next Sunday. Mm-hmm. All you need to do is sell a load of stuff, invite Jay John to come and preach, and have like um, and pay Martin Smith or somebody to come and lead worship, everybody would come to that because then suddenly you would be putting on the best show in town. But what you'd be getting would be a bunch of consumers. Mm-hmm. You'd be adding, but it, would be, it wouldn't be adding yes. disciples. You'd be adding a whole bunch more people to come and watch your show. 
which it, it might be all about Jesus. I'm sure it would be that you'd be talking about and all of that. But unfortunately, that's an addition strategy. And it doesn't never, addition, if you've got a calculator, as Neil Cole says, no matter how many times I press add, that never turns into multiply. Multiplication strategies, <laughs> multiplication <laughs> strategies come from um, doing things differently and actually seeing that already in your church, you've got some people that could reach some people. And if, they, if you help them to tell their story, if you help them to tell the Jesus story of, of, of what the gospel actually is, rather than just telling them they should, showing them how they can, this is the kind of thing we're trying to do at Ivy. We just started a thing on a Sunday, um, pretty regularly across our sites in the last few weeks, where before I come and preach to the people, and I say to them, look, in a few minutes' time, I'm going to come and tell you what I think God's been saying to me to tell you, and you can weigh that and look at it and make sure it lines up with the Bible this week. But before that, have you been reading the Bible yourself this week? And if so, what's God been saying to you and, and what are you going to do about it? And then we put that question up and we get people to just turn in twos and threes and to say, and the question says, um, what has God said to you this week as you have read the Bible and what are you going to do about it? Now, there's a number of assumptions there, one of which is that people know how to read the Bible and and if they don't, we can help them. At least it, at least they're flagging up, actually, I haven't, I haven't even got a Bible. All right, well, we'll get you a Bible and we'll show you a good way to start. We can help with that. Um, or, and the expectation is God speaks, not just to the guy at the front or the woman at the front, but God speaks to everybody. But he pre, that he preeminently speaks through Scripture. And we want to encourage people to be reading the Bible for themselves. And that that is a living word which calls forth action, not just um, some, not just more knowledge, but actually something to do, not just information, but revelation, which leads to transformation. So I think the more we get embed that in our culture, that our churches, Ivy churches, are not going to be just places that people can come and sit and listen and go, oh, I agree with that part of the sermon, but I'm not sure I agree with that part, and I think I'll probably forget it by the time I walk out the door. It's useless, that, and that's what we've been producing. And, you know, even the best preachers in the world sometimes... Yeah. Ask anybody two weeks later what they actually said. Uh, unless you've written notes, you're hardly going to remember much of it. Now, that isn't to say that I'm downplaying preaching. I, I, am, I love preaching, and I always try to train preachers. But I'm, I'm, I'm more happy when somebody tells me about something that God told them from the Bible, because they were reading the Bible, than I am if they repeat back to me something that I told them that I think God might be saying to them from a week ago. Yeah, that's so exciting and I know in my own spiritual formation it's been those times where I've been challenged to read God's word for myself and get out and get involved mm. in, in mission in my local area that have been transformative in me you know and bringing other people with us and grouping other people around us who we see grow into the image of Jesus Christ yeah. and then being released into ministry mm. is just so exciting. Uh, to see now, Anthony. As, as we kind of come to a close, um, you're in Manchester, a city that's been hit by a terrible terrorist attack earlier on in the year at the arena. And um, Ivy Network, I saw on social media, responded. Um, what lessons did you learn about leadership from that response, and, and how did you respond? Well, obviously, it was the most awful tragedy, and it was a real shock. And it's in one of those, it was one of those stunned moments of, well, what what do I do here? And it started out as being the best thing we can do is pray. You know, people sometimes say the only thing we can do is pray, but actually, it's the best thing we can do. So we opened up the church, and people could come in and from the community and pray in the building. But 
You know what I discovered? They didn't. Our people did, but local people, even though we're well known in the community, didn't cross the threshold unless from our church brought them in. So I wonder if, to, in some extent, those days are gone. And certainly, in, maybe in, in, in cities, what they were doing instead was yeah. creating their own shrines. They were going into the place where it took place and, and into the centre of Manchester in other ways. And they were, you know, having a transcendent moment um, and, a, and a time to reflect and think about that tragedy in their own way. But it wasn't in churches in the main. Um, the Christians gathered in churches, but the non-Christians didn't. So... Anyway, what do we do? And I thought, well, we have to just respond and reach out and do whatever we can. And over and the next day, I, I'd been in Euston Station a few months before, and I, see, I saw a guy in the middle of the platform, very busy, with a, a sign that said, free hugs. And I walked over and gave him a hug, and it felt like a spiritual moment. It was this weird thing. I just thought, I'm not sure I'd ever want to do that. Okay. But yeah. when I went to bed the night after it, I, I, the, I, this picture came to mind and I wondered if God was reminding me of it. So the next day I said to my wife, I think I think I should go and just offer to hug people tomorrow, maybe go into the city centre and hug people. And she said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, okay, okay. And she's, <laughs> I know, she, she's a sounding board. The next morning, though, I, 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 I kept wondering about it. Anyway, I went to the gym again. I a lot of my life revolves around going to the gym. And, um, and I saw two Muslim guys. And by this time, the, the, you know, it was on the news that it, it was a mosque. Within five minutes' walk of where I'm sitting now in our church, it was where this guy had been uh, previously. And, and he'd actually left sometime before when the imam had preached against ISIS. He'd, he'd walked out um, publicly and um, angrily. So I, 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 I saw these two Muslim young guys going, getting ready to go in the gym, and I said to them, excuse me, are you two Muslims? And they both stiffened up and, and looked at each other and said, uh, yeah. And I said, good, because it's Hugger Muslim Day. And I went and, and extended my arms open, and this guy came and hugged me, and then the other one waited, and then he hugged me too, and they said, thank you, you don't know what this means to us. And that was it. And then later on, I had another guy in the gym, and then I hugged somewhere, somebody somewhere else. And then I saw on YouTube that Tommy Robinson from the EDL had come up to our city. He didn't live anywhere near here. Stood outside one of the uh, mosques and was basically denouncing this fifth column and saying we all need to rise up and fight against them and send them back. He didn't specify where. And um, I, I just got angry at that, to be honest with you. I was, you know, I was obviously I was angry about the attack and that that had taken place, but I was also just so frustrated that somebody was going to come and try and stir up even more hatred as the answer to hatred. So I, um, I, it was evening prayer was coming up. So I walked down to the local mosque with, a, 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 with my own little cardboard sign. said, same street, same city, same grief. I lead a church down the road. Uh, hugs, not hate. And, um, and these men and boys were coming um, very heads down. There were police there in case anything kicked off. And each, each one of these men would come up and re- warily read the sign, thinking that it, maybe I was some kind of demonstrator, and then would push the boys to me and hug me, or they'd come and hug me themselves. And then very soon afterwards, after having, having gone in and they invited me in, and I, I spoke with them afterwards after evening prayer, and, and um, you know, they were saying, you know, we have ch- children too. One of them was saying, I would have sent my kids to that concert. I didn't want this to happen, you know. And then a week later, we, we ramped up security at Ivy because of um, you know, the situation, because it was still very tense. 
And I said to the guys, you know, if anybody turns up that you don't recognize or carrying anything unusual, then let's just be aware of that and, you know, come and get me if you're not sure. A few minutes later, they kind of came to get me pointing, saying there's something you need to come and see. And we had a whole bunch of Muslim people and some ladies wearing the, uh, you know, having their face covered, etc., with uh, a, an unusual item, which turned out to be a great big cake that they'd made that said, we love Ivy, which said, we love Ivy Church. And they came and sat through the whole of our evening service where I preached the gospel and and talked about Jesus and about how I believe he's the saviour of the world. And at the end of it, these some of these ladies said, we've never been in anything like this. And one lady said, I wish we could pray like that. That's what she said to me. And then and I thought, well, we can. <laughs> but um, then one of their leaders got up and said at the end of it, can I just say a few <laughs> words? And he said to me, he said to the church, said, you came to us in our hour of need, and that will never be forgotten. And we would, we would hope and pray that you will never have such a dark hour, but you, you know, we want you to know that if that happened, we would, be, uh, we would stand alongside you as you stood alongside us. Which I think, love wins. You know, in that sense, the, the love of Christ is, is uh, you know, we're meant, it, we're meant to demonstrate it in, in deed and in word. And, uh, and ultimately, that's hopefully going to stay with, all, you know, with all, of the, all of the people there at the mosque as well. And what a great example of a, a leader seeing the gap, identifying what's wrong um, and stepping out and putting it, putting it right and leading uh, your people into a, a different place of relational engagement with their community. Uh, Anthony, that's been uh, fantastic and uh, extremely interesting. Thank you for sharing some of your story. Uh, I'm inspired by what you guys are doing to multiply out. All I, all I felt I did then looking back on it was just listening to the next thing God tells you to do and I think that's Christian leadership very often I just I'm not going to claim any any great leadership strategy for that <laughs> other than I felt God was saying do this that comes back to the daily decisions doesn't it yeah and the daily listening to God and the daily prompting and the daily disciplines and the daily actions which uh, you talked about earlier that makes such a difference uh, Anthony Delaney thank you so much you've been a fantastic guest uh, the Lord bless you and encourage you in your ministry with Ivy uh, in the UK but across Europe as well thank you so much thanks for listening more episodes are released every Monday And you can subscribe on the Forge Leadership website at forge-leadership.com or by searching for Forge Leadership Podcast on iTunes.